<clears throat> so another sutta here is uh, Guttara one Book of One two two sixty eight to two seventy six, and it's about a sotapanna, a person with the right view. Things that he's incapable of doing. So it says, because it is impossible, there is no opportunity that, in the, that an individual accomplished in the view could approach any determination as permanent sankara. It's not possible. It's possible that putujana could approach determination as permanent. That is possible. It's impossible. There is no opportunity that any individual accomplished in view sotapana could approach any determination as pleasurable. It's impossible that he could approach anything itself. It's impossible for him to take away the life of his mother. He could not take away the life of his father, and he could not take away the life of an arahant. With a corrupt mind, he could not shed the blood of the Tagata. He could not split the Sangha. He could not acknowledge another teacher. That's not possible. But because it is possible that an ordinary person could do these things. <clears throat> so obviously, this statement is made by the Buddha, who is much further seeing than even the most accomplished Arahant. But certain things here can be verified, obviously, for oneself, without needing supernatural powers and so on to see. <clears throat> and uh, those things are the impossibility of taking any Sankara as permanent, impossibility of taking any Sankara as pleasurable, and impossibility of approaching anything as self on account of it. Why? Is that impossible? Well, because it has been thoroughly understood. Thoroughly understood in a sense that um, so these characteristics of impermanence and pleasure, uh, un like suffering, unpleasurability, are the inherent characteristic of sankharas. So, in order to understand impermanence and dukkha, you need to understand what sankharas are. And you could even see, simply based on like how these. How the word Sankara is translated in the modern kind of Sutta translations, there's many, many views on, on the topics because it's a subtle thing to understand and much more easier to misunderstand. So, if you don't understand what Sankaras are, you will not be able to then truly see impermanence and dukkha on the level where it needs to be seen for you to get the right view. And another... Um, Another proof of this is how often this very similar uh, passage that talks about Sankara's impermanence is completely misquoted, misunderstood, misread even, while you're reading it. Like the Buddha never said everything is impermanent, everything is suffering, everything is not self. He said every Sankara is impermanent, every Sankara is suffering, everything is not self as a result of it. So, Sabe Sankara Nietzsche, Sabe Sankara Dukkha, Sabe Dhamma Anatta. It just seems like, oh, well, there is some difference, but it's not a big deal. It's absolutely fundamental deal. It's like in the same sense with, with Patitsampada, but we won't get into Patitsampada here now because it's talking itself. So the point is, you need to understand that there is a difference between your sense of self, which is always on the level of that Dhamma, and things upon which sense of self depends. And that's what the definition of Sankara is. Inseparable from, determined by. Hence, the translation here is determinations. So, for example, your mind state of, I don't know, anger or, no, let's take something positive, um, elated happiness on account of a prospect that you're that you are facing, something, something pleasant coming your way. 
uh, would you be able to have that mental state persisting? Would you be able to be cherishing it, bound by it, enjoying it, looking forward to it? If, uh, if your body were to die, if you were to die, if something were to happen to it, if you were to stop breathing, your heart were to stop, would it be possible for you to even conceive further experience of your sense domain and pleasure and joy, happiness and so on, without your life being a necessary basis from which any sense experience is inseparable from? It's impossible. Now, see, you recognize that, and you can even make sense of it, even when you hear it, just like this. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. But it's not enough to recognize it once or twice, because, as the Buddha said, and we mentioned before, ignorance is beginningless, which means you cultivating the wrong view, not seeing of Sankara, not regarding them uh, impermanent and unpleasurable, but instead regarding them as permanent and pleasurable, um, you will then... Uh, simply not be able to, to approve that just by seeing it once or twice. That's why, as we said that before, uh, Dhamma cannot be done accidentally. You cannot stumble upon it and have this special experience that they make you an arahant and so on. It needs to be drilled repetitively. That's what would have meant it's, it's like gradual shelving of the sea. It takes time and repetition. Or like wearing off the handle of the axe and so on through usage. So that's why you cannot do it accidentally because you need to keep doing it. And in order to keep doing something, you need to have have had reason beforehand that it's worth doing and repeating and committing to it. That's the place of faith. We covered that before. So in order for you to then see the determinations as impermanent, you need to then accept the presently arisen experience of whatever that mood is, whatever feeling is, whatever perception is at the time, and then see it as undermined, see it as uh, see it undermined simultaneously by something else that's there. Such as, see, the fact that you're not in control over a life in your body, so to speak, the life of your body, means that undermines any prospect of your sense engagement, your life, your career, your family, everything you go through life is undermined by the fact that you could not be alive next moment. And that's an unpleasant thing to do, to admit that to yourself. And that's where the training comes in. The virtue that will prepare you to like handle it. And then drilling and reflection of, of that contemplation and recollectedness of death and so on. So that's basically you retraining yourself to not regard your most fundamental sankara of your body as permanent, as pleasurable. Because... If you ignore that, you're then automatically regarding it as permanent, as pleasurable. How? Well, the example I gave, say, the, the, the joyful prospect you're looking to forward, forward to, you don't question it. You take it for granted. So you take that as yourself, as your defining experience at the time that you're going for. And you don't question it. You don't even try to reflect on it. So what then happens to that body, which is there, by the way? You cannot uh, abandon sankaras or replace them. So your body as a fundamental necessary basis for any experience of the senses, elating experience or depressing, doesn't matter, has to be there. But you're not questioning. You're not having a second thought. You're taking for granted the elated experience that you're presented with. You want it, you crave it, you delight in it, you act upon it. So what happens to Sankara then? Well, they're put second. They're not seen as that because of which you are able to have the elated experience. They are seen... That which is secondary, which is sort of subordinate to your related experience.
In other words, you put yourself first and then these sankharas then become tools of yourself. So instead of sankharas undermining your sense of self, they will then liberate you. Sankharas become used by the sense of self. And that's when sankharas are regarded as permanent and pleasurable. So instead of impermanence and discomfort of sankharas undermining the pleasurability of sense of self, they get to be seen through the pleasurability. Gratuitous gratuitously assume pleasurability of the sense of self. So that's why, uh, that's why it's that opposing, like you need to see that which is permanent as impermanent. You need to see that which you regard as pleasurable as not pleasurable. So you need to learn how to see sankaras for what they are, as, or rather be able to admit to yourself that it's fundamentally unpleasurable, the fact that you're not in control of your body, even if you can use it now for gaining all the pleasure you want. Recognizing the nature of, of that discomfort, that impermanence, I cannot own that, will then undermine your joy on that level of sense of self. But that's unpleasant, so people turn away from this pleasure by default, which then makes you regard all these obvious things that are not in your control, that are uncomfortable, even that elated pleasure that has arisen, you know that it cannot last for in a, like forever in a sense of that you will never experience pain again. You know you will. But you take it for granted that the face value, then everything else is seen through that pleasure of, of that you took for granted, not other way around. So it's learning to turn that picture upside down. That's why in all the suttas, when the Buddha would teach the Dhamma and people would understand, they would say to him, oh wow, it's like turning that which has been placed upside down, turning it back rightly again. That which I used to put second is first, now it needs to be put first as second. So Sankara's are first. You need to put them as first. As a necessary basis, because of which you wouldn't be able to have experience of joy, nor pain, nor anything else in between. But if you start looking then at the, the characteristics of this, like what's the characteristic of your presently living, enduring body right here, right now? Well, you, you haven't had any say in its arising. You have no say in the, its organs operating. You can use it, you can move it, you can control it, but fundamentally, in itself, it's not in your control. Recognizing that means seeing determinations as impermanent. So that's what the right view is. <clears throat> when you recognize that, to the extent, sufficient extent, you have developed the right view. You, that's what Sotapati is. And that's why that person will be simply unable to forget that. Because that is your very core of your being, of your thought, of your mind. So it's not something that you occasionally think and then you sort of forget about it. <clears throat> so that's why a Sotapana will be unable to approach for granted determination as pleasurable impermanent because determination for him now signifies impermanence. Determination now signifies discomfort, dukkha, which that means any experience cannot be taken as self. And as for uh, taking away the life of his mother, father, Arahant, blood of the Tagata, means intentionally. He cannot intentionally override the significance of recognition of his mother. He cannot, with a corrupt mind, shed the blood of Tathagata. Impossible. Like, the significance of that act is just inconceivable for him to willingly, consciously make a choice and, and do that. It's just impossible. He could not split the Sangha. Impossible. Like, willingly try to make schism. Because he's part of it. It's just impossible. Or that he could acknowledge another teacher. That's not possible either. And that's literally... So, you have arrived at uprooting the entire existence through following the Buddha's instruction. So now that you can, like, follow another teacher means now that you can dismiss that 
and follow some completely diametrically opposed teaching, it's impossible. It's just inconceivable because within that diametrically opposed teachings, you will still see sankaras are impermanent, sankaras are uncomfortable, everything else as a result that depends upon them cannot be taken as self. Thus, you're still, whatever teaching other you see, you're just going to see it through the framework of Dhamma that you have understood. And that's why you become your own guide, as the other suttas say. Nobody can be my guide, I'm my own guide. You have the reference point, the Dhamma I, as the Buddha referred to, that now can see. Oh, this is according to Dhamma, this is not according to the Dhamma. And as the Buddha said in another sutta, even if the whole world comes to that person and says, no, the Buddha is wrong, um, you should not follow the Dhamma, he, like, you know, he might not say anything, you know, if, if they will harass him and so on, but internally it's impossible for him to, to basically agree with them. It's just impossible for him, even if the whole world tries to persuade him, he will know that the Buddha is right and the world is wrong, because he verified it for himself. As simple as that.